بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Inshallah ta'ala during the course of this lecture we're going to talk about Surah Al-Fatiha and its connection to the Salafi Aqeedah and in fact we will see how Surah Al-Fatiha it incorporates all of the aspects of Tawheed and that is why it is known as Ummul Kitab the head of the Quran because all of the meanings of the Quran they revolve around what is found in Surah Al-Fatiha as the scholars have mentioned the meanings of the remainder of the Quran you will find that all of them they revolve around what you find within Surah Al-Fatiha so firstly to mention something regarding Al-Fatiha its position, its rank, its status. هذه السورة لها مكانة عظيمة في القرآن. No doubt this surah has a great station within the Quran. إذ هي أعظم سورة فيه. Because Surah Al-Fatiha is the greatest surah of the Quran. Surah Al-Fatiha is the greatest surah of the Quran. Just like Ayatul Kursi is the greatest ayah of the Qur'an, then Suratul Fatiha is the greatest surah of the Qur'an. And that's why, due to the importance of it, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentioned, that's the reason why Al-Fatiha is at the beginning of the Mus'haf. At the beginning of the Mus'haf, when you open the Mus'haf, then the opening section it is from Al-Fatiha due to its importance and its relevance. Also, from that which indicates the importance of Surah Al-Fatiha is the several different names that have been mentioned of Surah Al-Fatiha. There are several different names. Of course, you are aware of Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha meaning the opener, the beginning. Al-Fatiha, that which you open into with it. So the Mus'haf as we mentioned, Surah Al-Fatiha is at the beginning of it. It is the opening into it. And so it is known as Al-Fatiha. Also it is known as Ummul Quran. Ummul Quran, another one of the names of Surah Al-Fatiha. Ummul Quran meaning the head of the Quran. And that is because, as we said, the whole of the Qur'an, its meanings revolve around what you find in Surah Al-Fatiha. Also from the names of Al-Fatiha is Al-Ruqya. The Ruqya that you do, the recitation that you do upon a person who may be ill or with some pain, then Al-Fatiha is one of the most potent or one of the greatest 
surahs that you can read for the purposes of ruqya, for the purposes of ruqya, then it is from the greatest of what can be recited. And there is that narration where a group of the companions, they sought to be given some hospitality in a particular place, in a particular area, when they were on their travels. However, the individuals of that area did not host these companions. As it mentions, أَنَّ نَفَرًا مِنَ that a group of the companions, they sought some hospitality from a particular area. However, those individuals in that area did not give them the hospitality. Then after that, The leader of those individuals who had not given hospitality to the companions, their leader was stung. He was stung or bitten by a snake or a scorpion. A snake or a scorpion. And those individuals could not find any cure for him. So then they came to this group of companions who were nearby, who they hadn't given the hospitality to. They went to them and they sought from them that somebody should come and do the ruqya. So then it's mentioned that uh, some of the companions they went, or one of the companions he went and he did the ruqya. And what he recited was Al-Fatiha. He recited Al-Fatiha. فَقَرَأَ عَلَيْهِ سُورَةَ الْفَاتِحَا فَقَامَ الرَّجْلُ كَأَنَّمَا نَشِطَ مِنْ عِقَالِ So when the companion went and did the ruqya and recited Al-Fatiha upon that individual who had been bitten by the snake or the scorpion, then it's mentioned in the narration that he got up full of energy. Full of energy he got up as if he was free now, after having been bitten by the poisonous animal. And this was uh, after the companion did the ruqya upon him with al-fatiha. So that indicates the name for al-fatiha as being al-ruqya, the one that you do the recitation with. And there are other names for it too, al-shafiya, the cura, because again, uh, Surah Al-Fatiha It is a cure For the hearts of the people As well as the bodies The bodies of the people Are cured by Al-Fatiha As we just said Through Ruqya Perhaps an individual is ill Perhaps an individual has some pain And if the Fatiha was recited Within the Ruqya And the one reciting is upon Iman and Taqwa and Tawheed and the one who it's being recited upon, is upon that iman and taqwa and tawheed, then there is a great impact of this ruqya upon that illness or pain. And al-fatiha is also a cure for the hearts, a cure for the hearts of the people, to remove the doubts and the desires, and the whisperings of the shaitan, then al-fatiha contains within it, 
that which removes and oppresses or quashes the whispers of the shaitan and the doubts and the desires. So they are some of the names of Surah Al-Fatiha. Then if we start looking at the actual surah in of itself, beginning from the ayah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And as we said, this is not just for tafsir. Rather it is the tafsir, but also to understand the link between it, the explanation and the tafsir to the Salafi Aqeedah, the way of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So the opening ayah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that all praise is due to Allah or to the Lord of all of creation. All praise is due is for the Lord of all of the creation. Alhamdu here, the scholars they mention the Alif and Lam, Lil Istighraq, meaning that it is an Alif and Lam, Alhamdu, which indicates every type of praise, all types of praise, then they are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A Jami'ul Muhammad Lillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala, Milkan wa that all of the types of praise, they belong to Allah, and Allah is deserving of them. That's what you mean by saying, Alhamdulillah, that all types of praise, every type of praise, is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, deserving of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, Allah, this is the greatest name of Allah, Allah, Derived from Al-Ilah, indicating the one true deity worthy of worship. Because Allah, in the Arabic language, it comes from Aliha Ya'lahu Ma'lu, which means Abada Ya'budu Ma'bud, the one who is worshipped. The one who is worshipped. That's the root of the verb for the name of Allah, Allah. Aliha ya'lahu ma'luh, the one who is worshipped. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is worshipped alone without any partners. The one who is deserving of the worship in truth without any association to anyone else. Rabbil alameen. And now we start to understand the reasons why. Rabbil alameen. The Lord of everything in creation. Al-Alameen. Then as Ibn Kathir and the other scholars, they said, Al-Alameen means everything in creation besides Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator, the Lord. Everything else is the creation. Everything else, all of that in the creation, that is Al-Alameen. The Alameen, all of that which Allah has created. So He is the Lord of all of that creation. Rabbil Alameen. And this indicates the Rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This indicates the Rububiyyah of Allah. 
So when we're talking about understanding the Salafi Aqeedah from this surah, then from here you see, Rabbil Alameen, the Lord of all of that in creation. Allah is the Lord of that, the Rabb of all of that. And this indicates the Rububiyah of Allah, meaning that Allah is in charge, is in control, is in command of all of that in creation. That Allah created all of that in creation. Allah sustains all of that in creation. Allah provides for all of that in creation. That is all from the rububiyyah of Allah. Allah controls all of that which is in creation. Allah determines and decrees what occurs within that creation. All of this indicated from the meanings of rububiyyah. And that is here as you see, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. The Lord of all of that which is in creation. So that indicates to you the Tawheed of Ar-Rububiyyah. The Tawheed of Ar-Rububiyyah. That Allah is the sole creator and the sole provider and the sole sustainer. Allah is the one who gives the life and the death. And no other individual can participate in that. There is a story they mention regarding an individual. He said to the people that I can create. He claimed that he could create. So he showed them a jar, an empty jar. And he put inside of the jar some rotting vegetables and rotting meat, etc. Then he closed the jar. He said to them, is there anything alive in there? They said, no, rotting meat and vegetables. He said, watch, I will create life in the jar. He closed it up, locked. Nobody can put anything alive in there. Later on, a few hours, a day or two, whatever, he came back and then he said to them, look, there is life in the jar. And there was. There were maggots crawling around inside. He said, look, I created that. You all saw me closing it, locking it tight. There was nothing alive in there. I did all of this. I put the right combination in. I created those maggots in there. Nobody opened the jar. Then they say that there was a child, a boy in the audience. And he was given the ability to be able to refute the claim of this individual. So he said to this man, You have created these maggots in the jar as you claim. So please tell us, how many have you created in there? So now the individual was unable to answer. They're all crawling around everywhere. He doesn't know how many is in there. 10, 20, 50, 100. Hasn't got a clue. The boy said, how? How? You created them. You don't know how many you created? Then the boy said to him, tell me then, since you claim you created these maggots, when are they all going to die? How long are they going to move around and wriggle around before they die? Again, he doesn't know. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a week they'll survive. He doesn't know. So again, how do you claim you created them and you don't know when you're going to uh, kill them? You don't know when you're going to give them death. You claim you gave them life, yet you don't know when you're going to give them death. So all of this was a refutation upon the individual. So we know that a rububiyyah then this is the tawheed of Allah with regards to his actions. Allah is the one who creates and sustains and provides alone. Then after that, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that all of the praise is due to Allah, the Lord 
of all of that which is in creation, the Lord of everything that has been created. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. These are two of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Two of the names from amongst the beautiful names, the beautiful and perfect names of Allah. And this also indicates to you another aspect of the Salafi Aqeedah from the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the Tawheed of Al-Asma wa Sifat. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has names and attributes. For indeed, Allah has names and attributes. We do not say, ah, some of the groups of deviation, the likes of the Jahmiyyah and their uh, similar ones, who claim that Allah does not have the names or the attributes. They reject the names and attributes of Allah. Yet, if you follow this deviated way, of saying that Allah has no names, has no attributes, then you are doing as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, you are therefore going to be worshipping what? If you claim that Allah has no names, Allah has no attributes, then who are you worshipping? As Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, therefore you are worshipping nothing. You are worshipping nothingness. Because if something doesn't have any descriptions, it doesn't have any names, then it is nothing. Somebody says, do you explain to me? And they go silent. You say, what? They say, just nothing, explain nothing. How do you explain nothing? There are no names for it. There are no descriptions for it. You are trying to talk about nothing. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, these individuals who reject the names and attributes of Allah, it's as if they are worshipping nothingness. They are created, they have denied the names and attributes of Allah. Yet Ahlul Sunnah, we affirm the names and attributes of Allah. However, even though we affirm the names and attributes of Allah, we do not fall into the error on the other side of affirming them to such a degree that we begin to compare the names and attributes of Allah to creation. We do not compare the names and attributes of Allah to creation. For indeed the names and attributes of Allah are the most perfect and beautiful of names and attributes. And they are not comparable. There is no similarity to anything in creation. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ there is nothing like unto Allah, nothing comparable or resembling Allah, and He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. So, here you have Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, two of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the most perfect and beautiful of names, just as Allah said in the Qur'an, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا Indeed, Allah has the most Beautiful and perfect of names. So call upon Him via those names. Yani when you make dua, call upon Allah in your dua. Call upon Allah via the names of Allah in your dua and make your dua. Such that the scholars they say, whatever the topic of your dua is, 
whatever issue you want to make dua regarding, then call upon Allah with the relevant name. You want to seek dua for forgiveness, then call upon Allah as Al-Ghafoor. You want to seek dua for guidance, call upon Allah with the, with the names that indicate knowledge. You want to seek repentance, call upon Allah with the names of Allah that indicate repentance. Call upon the relevant names to your dua. So these are the names and attributes of Allah, and here you have two of them. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Two from amongst the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With regards to the names of Allah, very briefly we say that it is the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah that every name has with it an attribute. Every name has with it an attribute. So if we say Allah is Ar-Rahman, then that means Allah has the attribute of mercy, Rahmah. Not like the people of innovation who say that the name of Allah is Ar-Rahman, but He doesn't have any Rahmah. How is the name Ar-Rahman, but He doesn't have the attribute that goes with it? That is nonsensical. So we affirm the names and attributes of Allah. We affirm the names and attributes of Allah and we accept them as they have come without performing any rejection of them or performing any distortion and changing their meanings or trying to give descriptions to them. We cannot. Or trying to make them resemble us in creation. So when we affirm the names and attributes of Allah, we are not comparing Allah to creation. This is the mistake of those people who are misguided and don't understand. They say, you people are making Allah into a body. We are not doing that whatsoever. We do not say that. Rather, we affirm and we accept what Allah has mentioned in the Quran and the Messenger has mentioned in the Sunnah. That is just like Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, نَصِفُ اللَّهَ بِمَا وَصَفَ بِهِ نَفْسَهُ We describe Allah with that which Allah described Himself with. And that which the Messenger of Allah described Allah with. We affirm the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So here you have two of those beautiful names. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. From amongst all of the names of Allah. And how many are the names of Allah? Unlimited? Everybody sure it's unlimited? How many are the names of Allah? We've been informed about 99, but it's not restricted to 99. That's one answer. It's unlimited. That's another answer. Correct? What about 99? Let's start from the bottom. 99. That's what you hear most of the people say. If you ask them how many names does Allah have, they'll say to you 99. You even see all of the posters, the 99 names of Allah. And they have them listed out. The ornaments and the posters and everything, the 99 names of Allah. And in fact, there is a hadith. There is a hadith in Tirmidhi and the Mustadrak of Al Hakim. And one other reference I forgot now. There is a narration that mentions, Inna lillahi tis'atan wa tis'ina isma, that Allah has 99 names. Man ahsaha dakhal al jannah, whoever enumerates them, memorizes them, enters paradise, and they are. And the hadith lists them out. 
So what are you going to do with this hadith? It lists out the 99 names. How can you say there's more or unlimited if the hadith is saying to you that the 99 names are, and it lists them out in the hadith. Without any other hadith. This one itself first. Authenticity of it. It's not authentic. There is a narration that mentions the 99 names listed out. However, the scholars have said that particular narration is not authentic. Al-Walid ibn Muslim, one of the narrators, etc. in the chain, it's not authentic. So that narration that actually lists out the 99 names, they are, and it lists them out, that hadith isn't from the words of the Prophet ﷺ. The hadith which is authentic is the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said the opening part. إِنَّا لِلَّهِ تِسْعَةً وَتِسْئِينَ إِسْمَا مَنْ أَحْصَاهَا دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ That indeed Allah has 99 names. Whoever enumerates them, memorizes them, acts upon them, will enter paradise. That's authentic. But the list of names isn't. But even that part, even the authentic part, people may use that and say, there you go. The, even the authentic part says Allah has 99 names. Whoever acts upon them, memorizes them, enters paradise. So then you need to explain to them what that part means, the authentic hadith. Uh -huh. Okay. Anyone else? No, the hadith, how do you explain the hadith itself? That's correct, you're right. The hadith itself, it does not indicate restriction. The hadith itself does not indicate restriction. When it says, indeed Allah has 99 names, whoever memorizes acts upon them, will enter paradise, it doesn't mean that Allah only has 99 names. And the example the scholars often give is, it revolves around this example. They'll say, if an individual now comes to you and says, I have a hundred pounds in my pocket, for charity. Give it in charity. I have a hundred pounds. I have a hundred pounds. Here, give it to charity. This individual who has just donated, what's his wealth, overall wealth? What's his overall wealth? Can anyone say his overall wealth is just that 100 pounds? Impossible. You can't make that claim. He could have another 10,000 in his account. You don't know how much he has? Just because he comes and says now, I have a hundred pounds, give it in charity. What you understand from that is, that he is donating this one hundred. That one hundred is for charity. How much has he got besides that? Who knows? And that's the same with this hadith. Here Allah says, 99 names, act upon them, memorize them, implement them, you enter paradise. How many more does Allah have? Allahu A'lam. You can't say it's only 99, that would be the same as, Somebody coming now, a hundred pounds I've got here, it's for charity. Nobody would believe that, say, I've got nothing left, now I'm going to sleep on the street tonight. Nobody would believe that. You'd know that there's other money. This doesn't indicate restriction when I say to you, this is the hundred pounds of charity. I could have more. And in fact, if somebody doesn't want to agree with that, there is clear evidence which proves that there are more. There is actual evidence that proves there are more than 99 names. One of them is the narration the dua that you read at the times of distress or grief, 
And in that dua, it's a lengthy dua, one part of it, it mentions, Allahumma inni as'aluka bi kulli ismin huwa lak. Oh Allah, I ask you by all of the names that you have. And then it continues up until it comes to the part, Oh, istatharta bihi fi ilmil ghaybi indaka. That I call upon you by all of the names that you have. The names that you've revealed and the names that you have kept to the unseen knowledge for yourself. So the hadith, the dua affirms that there are names that Allah has kept in the unseen from us. How many? We don't know. Therefore it's impossible for us to restrict and give a number because we don't know how many those names are that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept from our knowledge yet. And the Qur'an says, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You've not been given from knowledge except a small amount. So that is one clear proof that there are more names. There is another hadith regarding the Day of Judgment. When the Prophet ﷺ makes the intercession on the Day of Judgment, it mentions that he falls into prostration before the throne of Allah. And then when he raises his head, the Prophet ﷺ says, فَيُفْتَحُ عَلَيَّ بِمَحَامِدْ لَمْ أَكُنْ أَعْرِفْهَا مِنْ قَبْلِ that I will be taught or become aware of praise for Allah that I was not aware of before. I.e., one of the meanings of that, new names of Allah that I was not aware of before. So there is more knowledge regarding this affair, more names. So it should be understood, we do not say that Allah's names are restricted to 99. And we do not even say that we have been given 99. We cannot even say that we've been given 99, but there are more. Even how many we've been given is questionable. In the past, scholars, they searched. They searched through the books of Aqeedah, the books of Tawheed, the Qur'an, the Sunnah. Uh, Apologies, not the books of Aqeedah and Tawheed, the Qur'an and the Sunnah itself. They searched through the Qur'an and the Sunnah itself. And they looked for all of the names of Allah. Some of them, they actually found in excess of 140. Some of the scholars, they found in excess of 120 odd. Some of them 113, 118. They found different numbers, more than 99 already. And Shaykh al-Islam mentioned this, that some of the scholars through their research, they found more than 99 already. So we can't even say that we've only been restricted to 99. Possibly there are more already available and found in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But that in brief is regarding the names and attributes of Allah. So we affirm them as they have come in the sunnah. We do not try to give any example. We do not compare the names and attributes of Allah to creation. We do not make Allah comparable to creation whatsoever. But if they come to you and they say, but you are. You're saying Allah has a hand. We have hands. You're saying Allah has a face. We have faces. How are you not comparing Allah to creation? Then you explain to them. Firstly, the ayah, Allah says there is nothing like Him. Then you can explain to them in a number of ways. In a number of ways you can prove definitively that there is no resemblance and no comparison and we are not doing that. One of those, as Shaykh Al-Thaymeen mentioned, an example. He said, even though you use the same word, the actual item, the actual end result may not be the same. So even if we say Allah has a hand, that does not necessitate that the hand of Allah is like ours. In fact, it is not. Because there is nothing like Allah. An example the shaykh gave was the word leg. If you say now, describe to me a leg. 
So you could say, a leg is four foot long, three foot long, has some meat on it and a joint. That's a leg. Somebody may say, actually no, a leg is eight foot long. It's possible. Could be the leg of a giraffe. Somebody says a leg is like a tree trunk. True, could be the leg of an elephant. Somebody says a leg is just the size of your fingernail. True, could be the leg of a spider or something. The word is leg, but the descriptions are completely different. Where is the leg of a spider compared to the leg of a giraffe? Completely two different things, but the word is the same. So if in creation, we can use the same word, but the actual item is completely different, then what therefore of the difference between creation and the creator? The difference is even far greater. So there is no comparison and there is no resemblance. Rather we affirm the names and attributes as they are in the Qur'an. So that is uh, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Then Maliki Yawmiddin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here Maliki Yawmiddin. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who controls the day of accountability. Yawmuddin, the day of accountability. And this indicates fear. This indicates fear. That you recognize Allah is the one who controls all of the affairs on that day. Allah is the one who will do the accountability. Allah is the one who will judge between the people. So that is a level of fear in amongst yourselves. To be upon the righteous actions and to be away from the prohibitions, knowing that Allah is in control of that day. Nobody else will help you on that day. Nobody else will be able to aid you on that day. It will be the judgment of Allah. So that indicates some fear. Whereas the previous ayah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, indicated hope. And that is the belief of Ahl Sunnah. Hope, fear, love. That all of the worship, it revolves around the love, the hope and the fear. These two ayat have the hope and the fear. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. The merciful, you have hope in Allah to forgive you. Maliki yawmiddin, that Allah is the one who will hold you accountable on that day. The one in charge and in control of the accountability. Some fear. And this is the way of Ahlul Sunnah to balance out the affair between the hope and the fear. Love, hope and fear. As opposed to the people of innovation who go to an extreme in fear. Like the khawarij. Or the ones who go to an extreme in hope, like the murji'ah. Or the ones who go to an extreme in love, like the sufiyah. So maliki yawmiddin, that indicates that Allah is the one who judges on that day, and is in control of the affairs on that day. Then after that, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ this now indicates to you clearly the third aspect of Tawheed. We've already mentioned the rububiyyah in the very first ayah. We've already mentioned al-asma wa sifat. Now here you have al-uluhiyyah. Iyyaka na'budu. Indeed you alone we worship. Wa iyyaka nasta'een. And you alone we seek the aid and assistance from. Notice the order of the ayah. It says, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ You alone we worship. Typically when you speak, you'd say, we worship you alone. That would be the, no, the normal flow of the sentence. 
the normal flow of the sentence would be, we worship you alone. But the ayah says, you alone we worship. The other way around in the structure. Why? Because by putting it this way around in the structure of the sentence, the composition of the sentence, it indicates complete restriction. That you alone, only you alone we worship. Whereas the other way around, we worship you, there is a possibility that we also worship this and we also worship that. But by putting it the other way in the structure, you alone we worship, now you've restricted everything to Allah alone from the offset. Hence, the order of the ayah is in this way. So this indicates that all of our worship, it is sincerely for the sake of Allah alone, every act of worship. And this is the uluhiyah. This is the issue that occurred, or the issues that occurred between the prophets and their people, it revolved around the uluhiyah, revolved around worshipping Allah alone. Those mushrikeen, they did not wish to worship Allah alone. They wanted to worship Allah, but also they wanted to worship the other deities. They wanted to keep the affair open in that way. However, the prophets and the messengers, they came to them to preach to them this message of Al-Uluhiyyah. You alone we worship, not any other deity, any other statue. Yet Allah mentions regarding them how they did not do that. They would split their worship between Allah and the other deities. There are some who take others besides Allah as partners with Allah. They love them as they love Allah. So they split their love. They split their worship between Allah and these other deities. And that therefore means they have failed in their uluhiyah, in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, in every act of worship. Just as Allah mentioned in multiple places in the Qur'an, وَاعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone upon tawheed and do not commit any shirk. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ That we sent to all of the nations of Messenger preaching. Worship Allah alone upon tawheed and abstain, refrain from the false deities. As all of the prophets, they said to their people, Ya qawmi Allah, ma lakum min ilahin ghayruh. Our people worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You do not have any other deity to worship. So that is the one sin, the shirk. If it is committed, it will not be forgiven. Inna Allah la yaghfiru an yushraka bih, wa yaghfiru ma duna thalika liman yasha. Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk, and He forgives all else besides that. So here when we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You alone we worship and you alone, we seek the aid and assistance from, then that indicates our uluhiyah or the uluhiyah of Allah, our worship to Allah alone. And that is what Allah told us in the Qur'an, is the purpose of our creation. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah said, I did not create the jinn or the humans, Except for them to worship me. And the ya'budun illa liya'budun. 
In the Arabic, as the Salaf, they said, it means, That Allah only created us in order for us to worship Him alone. And know, be aware, that your worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is not in need of it. Rather, we are the ones who are in need of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are the ones who are in need of worshipping Allah. Allah is not in need of our worship. Similarly, if we were to commit sin, then that would not harm anything or decrease anything from the kingdom of Allah. All of this worship that it is for our good, it is for our need. So this part indicates the uluhiyah, that our worship in our hearts, upon our tongues, upon our limbs, then all of that is for the sake of Allah alone. Then you say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ إِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمَ You make this dua to Allah, guide us to the straight path. Guide us to the straight path. إِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمَ Because as you are aware, guidance is two types. There is the guidance, هِدَايَةُ الدَّلَالَ وَالْإِرْشَادَ the general guidance where you teach the people what the correct pathway is and what the false pathway is. Then there is Hidayatul Tawfiq, the inner guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places in the hearts of the people. In this ayah, al-mustaqim, you are asking Allah for both types of guidance. Allah to guide you to the straight path and to keep you upon that path to make clear to you what's right from wrong to make clear to you what's tawheed from shirk, what's sunnah from bid'ah. You're making dua to Allah that He keeps you and directs you to that pathway. اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمَ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ The path of those whom you blessed. You're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you to the path of those whom Allah has blessed. And who are those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed? That is mentioned in the Qur'an, وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ That those are the one who obeys Allah and His Messenger, then they will be with those whom Allah has blessed from the prophets and the truthful ones and the martyrs and the righteous. So you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to place you upon that pathway, to guide you to that pathway, to keep you upon that pathway. اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَرَضَّالِينَ The final section of the surah after making the dua for the guidance, you ask Allah and you make dua to keep you away from the path of those who erred and they strayed away. So, not upon the way of those whom your anger is and the ones whom Allah's anger is. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he mentioned, you must remember the characteristic. Rather than saying the Jews, which is of course within that, it is the characteristic. What is the characteristic? That they had knowledge, 
but they did not act upon the knowledge. So the scholars they say, everybody who has knowledge but does not act upon their knowledge, then they have a share of this anger, that they are within this ayah. It is applicable to those who have knowledge but do not act upon their knowledge. And of course the Jews who concealed the knowledge. And not those who are misguided. And they are with the characteristic of having no knowledge but worshipping Allah. I.e. worshipping without knowledge. Worshipping in any way, singing hymns, doing this, doing that. No knowledge, no understanding of how to worship Allah. Worshipping blindly. So that is like the Christians, the way of those who acted without knowledge. So at the end of the Fatiha, you ask Allah to keep you away from those uh, methodologies of misguidance. To keep you away from the methodology of having knowledge but not acting upon it. Or not having knowledge and acting blindly without any understanding. Rather this religion is knowledge and practice of that knowledge. Knowledge is the tree trunk as they say. The scholars they mention knowledge is like your tree. But a barren tree without any leaves, without any fruit is useless. Rather the fruit and the leaves that you take, they are the actions that you do upon your knowledge. You act upon your knowledge, that's the fruits the tree gives you. But if you do not act upon your knowledge, then you have the knowledge as a barren tree sitting there, you're not acting upon it. So you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you from those who have the knowledge and act upon the knowledge. Not to be from those who are in opposition to those characteristics. And all of this is mentioned as the way of the salaf that they used to make dua, that Allah keeps them firm. And the Prophet ﷺ used to make the dua, Ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qalbi ala deenik. The one who turns the hearts of the people changes the hearts of the people. Keep my heart firm upon your religion. Just like in the ayah, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That Allah will keep firm those who believe with a firm speech in this world and in the hereafter. Firm in this world upon guidance and upon knowledge and action, upon the correct way. And firm in the hereafter, when the angels, they come to question every individual in his grave, then he will be firm and upright with the correct understanding and the answers. So this, in the brief time that we have, is a very general overview regarding Surah Al-Fatiha and some of the meanings behind it. You see now that all the categories of Tawheed are within it. Al-Rububiyya wal-Uluhiyya wal-Asma wa-Sifat. You mentioned, it mentions in there, regarding seeking the dua from Allah, act of worship to Allah, asking for guidance, asking for firmness. Just as Allah mentioned in the hadith Qudsi, كُلُّكُمْ ضَالٌ إِلَّا مَنْ هَدَيْتُ All of you are misguided apart from the ones whom I guide. فَاسْتَهْدُونِي أَهْدِكُمْ So seek guidance from me and I will guide you. So all of this is mentioned in the Surah Al-Fatiha, the brief understanding of it. And if you look through the remainder of the Qur'an, as the scholars they say, you will find the meanings of the remainder of the Qur'an, they revolve around the factors or the points that are mentioned within the summarized seven ayat. In the seven ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha, you will find the core of all of the meanings within it. So this is a great surah, and it has great meanings within it. And that's what we'll mention in the short time that we have. 
inshallah ta'ala Abu Idris is also here for a lecture next. But we'll conclude upon that brief summary regarding Al-Fatiha and having taken some of the benefits from Al-Fatiha. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين